Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. So hey, we're going to talk today about uh, one of the guys in the series we're doing, The Gospel Effect. Um, this is a series we're doing on about the how the gospel affected different people throughout um, the, the ministry of Jesus, right? So the gospel effect, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writings... Some of the writings are in Acts, but most of them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we're talking about different people who are impacted by the gospel. How did they react to it? What did they do differently? How did it change their life? So uh, I gotta, I'm going to give a disclaimer before I go into this one today. So this morning, 6, 6.30, you know, uh, it's early. And um, I typically get up. I try to get up. I like a little peace and quiet. I don't know how you are. I'm By default, God wired me uh, as a night person. Like, I'm one of those kind of, like, I could work for hours all night long. I, I used to work till 2, 3, 4 in the morning. Just, I get started on something, get locked in on it, and go. That's how. But I found it to be very difficult as I've gotten older. And um, so, it, plus with kids, it made it a lot more difficult. So, um, I found that early mornings I kind of enjoy. It's not the same. It's not the same. Uh, it's just not. I don't care what anybody tells you. If you're wired as a night person, no matter what these early morning people tell you, it is not the same. I don't care. You can tell me, well, it's, no, it's not the same. You're just, because you're an early morning person, that's why you think it's the same. Don't make me like you, okay? Just leave me alone. I'm doing the best I can. I get up in the morning, and when I do, I go, first thing, to the Keurig. Uh, you say, well, you should pray. I, Jesus loves me more when I get coffee. I'm just telling you. <laughs> first thing, I need a cup of sometimes two in Jesus' name, right? Anyway, this morning, I got that, got my coffee, um, I don't know if it's the humidity I had just this weekend, just crazy sinus stuff going on. And I sit down to my, my computer at home and I open up my file that I had, you know, look over my notes. I always do a little pre-morning kind of looking over everything. Cause sometimes, you know, you're praying and asking the Lord, Hey God, is this still everything good? Is this what you want to talk about? I'm trying to be very sensitive to that. I don't always get it right. I make mistakes. I am a man. I have flaws. Okay. So sometimes I misquote scripture. Sometimes I misquote points. That's called humanity. But I do my best to pray and ask the Lord, God, is this what you want me to say? I'm trying to follow him the best I can. I get on the thing, and what I do is a terrible habit. I do not save uh, the autosave feature on my system because I don't like how it changes things. Every time you do a little look or change or move, it, it like shifts and changes, and I don't like that. I don't like how it just changes on me. Now i got to go back and move and find where the, was the last edit. If you don't use a computer, don't worry about it. It's just it's something with Microsoft. <laughs> anyway, so I always just hit, do you want to save this when it pops up after sleep mode? Cancel. I just work on my document. <laughs> this morning, I don't know what. Not enough coffee. I don't know. I click don't save. And so, like, yeah, everything went. I was like, oh, well, you know, because I use a Mac, I figure. I, I keep thinking that one day, like, surely Microsoft will actually do things that's smart, but they don't. I feel like they should, but anyway, and I feel well, they must be a workaround. There must be a backup to the backup for people like me. Th- it says there is, but there's not. It's gone. So this morning, 6.30, I'm searching for about 10 minutes on how to give my notes. Not because I care. I, Haley messed with me and, and her dad, Ronnie, because she's like, you and my dad are both the same. Y'all can just get up and kind of just talk. Like, and it just, you, I can't, she's like, I can't do, I need, I need my notes order. I need to make sure it's like, she's like, I just can't just go off the cuff, as you say. I was like, well, I don't either. It just kind of comes out sometimes, right? So I didn't need my notes for me necessarily. I need it for my team because they put everything up here and show and keep it in order. And I thought, this is going to be a train wreck this morning. But nonetheless, I did it, got it done. So I'm just going to say this up front. If anything pops up that's out of order, our guys are wonderful in the back. They do a wonderful job. They uh, do a fantastic helping get everything right every morning. Give them a hand. Would you love it right now? If it's off, it's because of me, okay? <laughs> this is all me this morning, all right? So anyway, so speaking of order and things that are done, as we talk today about this individual, his name is Barabbas, okay? A Barabbas, Barabbas, depending on what part of the country you're from, I guess. But if you're from Georgia, I think it's Barabbas, right? But uh, it's an interesting guy, you know, in the Bible. Um, and I want to start off with this question that I ask you. Why, why is it important to do things right? If you're a person that likes to do things right, you believe in that as your, your philosophy, let's do it right the first time so we don't have to do it again, then you kind of already on page, well, that's a no-brainer. It's just common sense. I agree. 
Agreed. But for those who might be thinking, well, I just don't understand why it's always got to be just so. Let me just give you a case in point. My kids and I'm over that last couple of weeks when that um, little submersible went down called that the Titan. You probably heard about this thing, right? Titanic, I, but my kids didn't know about me, but as a kid, I always thought it'd be great to be an oceanographer. I thought, you know, if I'm going to be something in life, I'm going to be an oceanographer. Blue water, right? Flip-flops, sand. I thought this would be the best job ever. But, you know, time passed and all that kind of stuff. I always thought Titanic was an amazing, like, intriguing, I guess you could say, better word, discovery in the process of that whole, you know, shipwreck. And when I watched this thing, how terrible it was to lose, you know, life, that was bad enough. But the more that they came uncovering, the more frustrated I got with all of them. Because I thought, what is wrong with you? You built this out of what? I had to research carbon fiber because I thought, you know, okay, maybe I'm just wrong. But coming from a construction background in a way where we had to run copper lines with strength and had PSI ratings, pressure per square inch, of ratings for upwards of 5,000 PSI for a system that only ran at max of 600 to 800 if there was a fail-safe. We put in that much more to protect the system. And we used things that would have integrity and strength. And I looked at this and I watched tests of Metals and how weak some of the stuff was. Carbon fiber was a terrible idea. And what made me more frustrated with it was that they were warned and they didn't listen. So when I think about things of why is it important to do things right, this is why. You know, and it's funny is that we, you accept this in an airplane, don't you? Don't you want it to be done right? If you get on it, you want it to be right. If I get on it, I want it to be right. We do this, my kids, you know, we go to six flights sometimes and I'm, this one piper wanted me to get on these these swings and like I'm fine with roller coasters. I ride anything attached to rails. Put me on it, a rocket ship, I'm good to go, baby. But I'm looking at these things and I did it for her and I thought that's it, I'm done. No more on these swings. These little ones, fine. You fall off that, you know, you skin a leg, maybe blow out a leg, whatever, you, you get that fixed. This thing's up high enough where there's no coming back. And I'm counting, in my mind, after watching this submersible deal, I'm counting the chain links. And I'm going, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's eight points, eight bolts. Those, are those stainless or alloy? Is this? And I'm looking at the one, because we've had on our swing sets where the kids use them, they go back and forth like this, the little clasp has broken. If you've ever had these little play, play, play sets you get from like Lowe's or whatever, Home Depot, you know what I'm talking about, the little, little, okay, up, they have the section where you get with the kit, Make sure when you buy it, get the one that Lowe's or Home Depot has that's the, the better one. You know, they have the kind you get in the little kit from the manufacturer. Get the one that the hardware side that they sell that Lowe's, the good one. Because those things, kids break them, okay? Get the big one. I'm just telling you, help you out right there, save a, a scant knee. But I've seen them break, and I'm looking at these on the Six Flags thing going like, I don't know. Like, eh, I'm, I'm on this thing looking like this going, I don't like this. Ever in my little son, she can't understand why I am like, I'm done with this. I no more done. No more. Honey, I'll ride with you on anything else, but I'm not, I don't want us getting back on these things. It's not because I don't think someone thought through it all. It's just, I'm looking at it going, there's not enough fail safe on this one machine. I don't know who did it. Don't know why. I don't know what engineer come up with it, but you like things to be done right. When people cook your chicken, you go to a restaurant do you want it to be completely thoroughly cooked? Chicken is really important that it's done right. You can get away with beef and come out rare and it's go- you're going to live. If chicken's not done all the way, you're going to wish you died. It's awful. Things need to be done right. And with God, it's no different. And I think with Jesus and Barabbas, the people wanted something that Jesus wouldn't give them and they saw something that they could get in Barabbas. But God wants to do things right. See, we all have ideas. Judges said this, that every man in that time and woman, they did what was right in their what? Own. Is that not rem- reminiscent of our culture today? And, and, I, and I'm not today trying to jump up anything to try to say something to go, yeah, that's right, preach. That's not my goal. But I will tell you the silliness and ridiculousness of what I keep seeing only affirms to me that we live in a day where people think they are right. And I'm sorry, 
Those people who thought they were going down that little submersible, that guy that built that, he thought he was right, but he was extremely wrong. And it cost everybody their life. Do you want to build your life on someone's human experience and opinion that says this is what is right or something that is tried and true? Give me something that at least has some more years behind it than one human life. Haley and I were watching, well, I was watching, I, she just tagged along, but I was watching this, given all this stuff with the ocean stuff, this, this whole thing of the, the rising of Atlantis, all these docudramas and stuff, they were trying to find this lost city of Atlantis. And I was cracking up because this guy, doing the best he can do, but he's going off of one manuscript, the manuscript of Plato. And he's building all this experience and fact-checking and searching off of one manuscript. And I told her, we were cracking up because he's saying, oh, so this Atlantis thing, they have, you know, the Bible kind of echoes their theology. And we were like, what? Like, you're a bonehead. No, they may, if anybody echoes anything, they echo God. It's not the other way around, but this guy, he th- one manuscript, and God has, there are so many manuscripts that have been copied of this, and all of them line up to be the exact same, and yet they throw it out the door and accept Plato. It's just silly. So anyway, I say that because God wants us to do the right thing. Jesus did not lead a rebellion for freedom. He led a rebellion for freedom from sin, shame, guilt, and condemnation. That's the rebellion he led. They wanted a rebellion because they were under the bondage of Rome, but he didn't deliver them from that. He did it the right way. What they wanted was deliverance from their oppression. But in Luke 4, I'm just going to go through these kind of quick, but Luke 4, it talks about this, that he, the Spirit of the Lord is there, it's upon him to preach the good news, or preach the gospel, or to preach the appointed day of the Lord, if you will, to set free them that are in bondage, to release those that are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Man, those were what's called fighting words. In their minds, to the Jewish people, they heard him say that, and they thought, ho, ho, ho. Oh, we got us one now. He's going to assemble a massive army and we're going to kick Rome out of here. That's what they thought. They did not accept him as the Messiah. It's very clear from scripture. But you can find that in Luke 4, 17. We knew what he was saying now because we look back, but they did not know then. And they built this on what they had heard all of their days going back before the writings of the Gospels. And they saw the deliverance, 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 deliverance of God in a massive way from their enemies. All the way back to Exodus, when you see this in Exodus 3, 7, I'll put this on the screen for you. The Lord says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. First of all, let me just say this before I go further. God is aware of your sufferings. Absolutely, he is. Please don't ever think that God is unaware of what you're going through. You deal with stuff just like we do. He is aware of your pain and suffering. That does not mean, though, that in Christianity, you are going to become exempt from suffering. Philippians tells you very clearly, I want to know him and the power of the resurrection. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You're not always going to be picked. You're not always going to get what you think you should be receiving from the Lord. You think, well, this is what God says he promises me. That Yes, he does. And yes, his promises are true. And yes and amen. Absolutely. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a spiritual fight on your hand. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to deal with some opposition from the enemy. If you think the enemy's just going to say, oh, whoa, whoa they're a Christian. Ooh, leave him alone. Yeah, he's scared of you, but he's not, he's not so scared he's not going to pick a fight with you and throw some opposition at you. Why do they not like me? Because you're a believer. Why don't I get, because you're a believer. You have a mark on you. Contrary to what people, oh no, it's just the blessing of the Lord. I'm just so favored and I just walk around with heavenly, whatever, whatever. I'm sorry. I had more come at me after I became a follower of Christ than before. Before, I think the enemy just looks at you and says, hey, leave them alone. They're just making a mess of their lives anyway. Just let them go. No sense in helping them. They're, well, that's creative. They're, that's better than what we would have done. But when you become a Christian, they see you as a threat. And they want to eliminate you. So you have to realize you're in a spiritual fight. And you face things. But God says, I'm aware of your sufferings. You're not alone in this. 
So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land into a good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey. God brought them out of Egypt in slavery, but into a wilderness. And they rebelled and complained and was ready to throw Moses back into the Red Sea because of it all. I'm telling you, just because you're going through stuff doesn't mean God's not with you. He's with you. But maybe you're going through a one season, he pulled you out of this, doesn't mean you're not going to go through something else. I'm telling you, as a Christian, I have faced more, I have questioned like some of the things about why? What is the point in this? There is no other explanation than you are a child of God. Why is it that 10 other people never get this issue happen to them? Why you? Are they Christians? No. Hate to tell you, sometimes the reality of being a Christ follower to do the right thing doesn't always get you the first place ribbon. That is a bit of American philosophy built into Christianity. That's not always the way of Christ. Christ suffered for his cause. You might have to suffer some persecution as a believer. It is possible. You know, happy 4th of July. (laughs) Interesting enough, though, here's what I find about this. When Jesus was... At the moment before the crucifixion, he was on trial. He's ready and he can be released by Pilate. The governor asked the people, you remember when we talked about Pilate, if you don't, Pilate was a weak leader. He did whatever he could to try to get ahead. He just, he's not a very strong leader. Okay, you look at what he did. He, he always did whatever people wanted to try to get ahead. Okay, much like Saul in the Bible in the Old Testament. But Matthew 27 says this, which one, Pilate says, who do you want me to release? And the whole crowd said who? Barabbas, Barabbas. Now I have a picture. I think I have a picture. I hope I have. I did my best. If it's not, don't worry about it, guys. But I think I have one. If I do, you can put it up there. Oh, look, it came through. So if you notice, check this out. This guy that looks so cool, right? That's Barabbas. Look at the people. Yeah, he's our guy. All the girls down here, down front. Woo, he's so fine. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, whoo. I want you to know something over here. Who's that? If you notice the round circle around his head, that's an indicator right there that's your Lord. Now, no one's over there celebrating him, yet he's the one that came to really give true freedom. I'm just telling you, sometimes what looks like is freedom that the world's thrown at you isn't really freedom at all. Paul tells us this in latter places in the epistles, that don't use your freedom as an excuse to bring upon yourself and others bondage. Be careful. You know, if one person tells you that that's a sin for them, let them be. And it's not for you, let them be. Don't try to, just because you're okay with it and it's acceptable and there's nothing in the Bible that says it's right or wrong. I mean, you know, if you, if you feel like it's okay and you have a glass of wine at night for dinner, okay, fine. There's nothing in the scripture that says that's wrong. But if someone around you says, hey, I don't because it's, it, I, I can't. I feel like it's a sin for me. Don't try to talk them into it and say, well, it's okay. I've been around with Christians that hear these kind of things that go on. And it's not just that. It's other things too. They have an issue with watching certain movies and you say it's okay. And they say it's a sin for them, but you've talked them into it now. And you lead them down a path that goes down to something even worse. Let me ask you a question. Where does the responsibility fall when that happens? So you ought to be careful before you sign up and say, I'm going to be a teacher of God too. Scripture says those of us who preach the word, we have a stricter judgment. Just throwing some stuff out. Why do we do things right? Because it's God. This matters to him. It is a real thing. And true freedom, my brothers and sisters, isn't freedom that says I have no boundaries in life. True freedom actually has boundaries. It establishes borders. It gives you the fence that says, hey, that's far enough. There's a study that was came across years ago when I was a kid's pastor. And uh, these guys did this whole thing with uh, a research model on kids. And what they did was the kids on a playground, they had a playground there and they, uh, a, a perimeter for it, if you will. And they had no fence. And when there was no fence, the kids kind of played, but it was kind of like, you know, they were there, they run around some, but it was just kind of like, you know, just normal stuff, right? Just Maybe not really normal. They weren't really that rambunctious. When they built a fence, these kids went nuts. 
They started kicking the fence, climbing the fence. What do you get off the fence? What are you doing? Because a fence is there. It's the border. You say, well, you can't go over the fence. So what does little Johnny do or little Jody do? <laughs> well, if I can't go over it, you didn't say I can climb it. That's just normal. Kids thrive when there's boundaries. If you give no boundaries to a child, you actually restrict them in life. You actually make them, because they don't know what's right or wrong. They have no indication in life to say, does my mom love me or not love me? Because she just lets me do whatever I want to do. And the scriptures say, if you leave a child to themselves, leave them alone. Don't have any supervision whatsoever. The child will bring their mother to shame. That's Bible. Oh, but we don't want to restrict them. We don't want to give them the creativity. That is the most foolish thing I've ever heard in my life. Creativity can be given in boundaries. I give my kid creativity all the time. But I'm not going to give them a top field dragster to drive down the road in. No, my kid wanted an Audi. I said, you're crazy. You might get an old 1988 Honda Accord, if that. I'm not putting you in something super fast. Are you crazy? No. You get older, we'll see. Boundaries are important. Uh, Barabbas, real quick, I don't have time to go through all these, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's in all four of the gospel writings. Again, the birth of Jesus is only in two. <laughs> it's crazy. He's in all four, but Matthew considers Barabbas to be a notorious prisoner. Mark calls him an insurrectionist or a rebel. Luke calls him part of an insurrection. And they also mention, Luke and Mark also mention that he was a murderer. Murderer. John calls him, the most least detail you get is from John. He calls him a robber or revolutionary. He's a rebel without a cause, baby. I mean, he's the man, if you will. If you want to cause a problem, he's your guy. And the Jews did not like the Romans, so guess what? Pilate puts out this test, and Pilate says, I want to see which advantage I have with the people. Because he's a weak leader. So I'm going to let them choose. Will I give you Jesus or Barabbas? Which one? In his mind, he's thinking, whichever one they want is the true rebel and the revolutionist. The one that they don't want is not causing problems. He really didn't want to let, he didn't want to crucify Jesus. He really didn't. His wife, he told him, leave this guy alone. You ought to walk away from this one. But he was stuck. And so when this happens, they say, give us Barabbas. He knew right then, obviously Jesus is not a problem. Like they say he is. He knew the priests were lying. He knew the leaders were lying. He knew that it was all a scam. And he went through with it anyway and gave him Barabbas. Because he's a weak leader. Barabbas, though, is very interesting. Now, if you remember when I told you this before um, about Simon Barjona, who is named Peter in the Bible. He's the one that denied Christ three times. He also, you know, was falling. He was walking on water, but then he fell. You know, Peter has a bit of an example of, you know, someone who starts out strong, falls away, but he does return, which is a great example for if you're in here today and you, you know, if you've done that and wondered if God will take you back. He, look, he took Peter back. And Peter became the leading apostle of the church. So there is, there is hope for you. Please don't ever think God can't take you back. Um, I don't know why I said that, but just feel like maybe somebody needs to hear that today. But Peter, his name was Simon Barjona. So I'm going to put this up for you just to remember this really quick, okay? Bar, in the context of Scripture, when you say the word bar, it means son. Bar Jonah, it's the son of Jonah. Simon Barjona, his first name Simon, the son of Jonah, okay? Now check this out. Barabbas. Watch this guy's name. Bar is son. But have you ever heard this word, Abba? Don't you find that kind of interesting? It's the son of the father. That really bothers me. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. That bothers me because I read this rascal and I think, he's not the son of the father. But I will tell you this. Um, and some actually ancient, some of the older manuscripts of Matthew, he's actually called Jesus Barabbas. Jesus is a very common name. Je- there's nothing special about the name Jesus in per- terms to their culture. Jesus was a common name. But when, you, when you're relating it to Jesus, the Son of God, that's when his name is, it, it is powerful. But it's a very common name then. It's very possible his name was Jesus Barabbas. Now here, if that's the case, Jesus Barabbas and Jesus of Nazareth. And do you see the similarities though? Both are being called revolutionists. Both are really bringing revolution onto the planet. One is spiritual, one is physical. And one is truly, on one hand, if you think about it, a son of the Father. 
He's a murderer, a liar, a thief, a revolutionist. Yes, he is. But for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, I mean, he's not technically a son of God, but he's a son of humanity. And when you look at that, it's lowercase f, father, it's not the father. But God loved the world enough, so much so, Jesus is taking his place, he is released to make a better decision, hopefully in life. There's really nothing else left of him. My personal belief of Barabbas is what happens. He goes back into his revolutionary ways and does what he does. He could have changed it. Yes, he could have. I don't know. But given the history of the zealots and what you see there, some people don't think it was a part of that. I happen to think, I think that's silly. I think he probably was. These people fought and fought and fought till the very end, and it cost them all their lives because they could not understand the difference between physical freedom and spiritual freedom. They thought they should never be under anybody's thumb. Can I just tell you this? Uh, Israel was always under somebody's thumb. And you don't know why? Because they rebelled over and over again. And so God said, all right, you want to rebel against me? I want to be your king, but since you don't want me, I'm going to give you another group to be your king. And maybe after they get done with you, you'll turn back to me. Have you ever noticed this, that if we reject the boundaries of God and the restrictions of God, he'll let you do your own thing? And then once you get so far, isn't it true that you get to a point where you finally say, I've had enough of this. <laughs> Jesus, help me. That's what we all do. These boundaries, they're real. And so anytime you decide to do something live that's real, you're going to do it right. Why is it so important? Three little things I'm going to share, and we're going to be done. I'm going to re- read this to you, and then um, this is from Ezekiel 44. And what I'm going to read this, this is stuff that we use kind of for ministry, but it applies to life too. It applies to life. Three little things. Ezekiel 44, you can read all the context later. Um, I'm going to read you some of the scriptures, but the area of the priesthood where they came in, this was the thing that they struggled with many times. Is, I'm going to put these on the screen for you. The focus of work, the field of work, and the facilitator of work. I'll put it on the screen. You can see all this. Take a picture of it. You can go home and read it more, okay? If you guys can just... Find that for me, it'd be great. The focus of work, what it just simply means is this. When Ezekiel 44, you'll see this. It's the area of what's called, we call it, the rejected ministries, accepted ministries, and blessed ministries of God. Now, how many know in Scripture, you find this over and over again, where God rejected things that the people did, right? You've seen it, right? You've all read where God just, he doesn't accept every, contrary to your culture, God does not accept Everything or everyone. I'm sorry. I know it's popular. He does not. If that's the case, Jesus died for no reason whatsoever. He calls, yes, he loves the world, but he calls us to repent and turn to him. That means you have to leave what you think is right and I think is right and submit to what he says is right. If I still go my own way, I'm not submitted to him, and I'm going rogue, if you will. If I'm going to follow God, this right here is my blueprint and my boundaries. So I don't know if you guys have that or not. I don't know if it came through or not, guys. But here it goes. Yeah, focus of work. The focus is the person or the thing that's being served by our results. That's your focus. It's the person or the thing. So watch this. This is why uh, Paul told Timothy, uh, for the love of money is the root of all evil. You gotta have money to deal with, you gotta have money to do business, and, and money is in and of itself, it's a terrible God, but you have to transact with it and do business. If you know how to control it and submit it to God, it's not a problem. But if you love it, it's gonna be your master. So it's your focus. Whatever your focus is, that's the thing being served by your work, by your results. Alright? And the Christian life, it's all about results. If you don't believe that, just look at the parable of the talents. God expects us to do something with what we've been given. The field of work, real quick, is the person or thing that benefits from the results. One is your focus that's being served. The other one is the person that's being benefited from results. It's kind of your field of work. It's it's like, it's the one that's benefiting from your results. And the last one is the facilitator of the work. It's the person or thing that produces the results, okay? It's the person or thing that produces the results. Now I'm going to put these on the screen for you all at one time so you can see this, okay? 
Let me give the first one in Ezekiel 44, verse 6, okay? He says this, You shall say to the rebellious ones, the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Enough of your abominations, O house of Israel. That tells you enough right there that some things God doesn't accept. If everything was okay, there would be no reason to write this. There are some things that God will not accept. And don't look at the world and say, well, it's just them. It's us too. Um, before you give your offering, if you know you have an offense against someone, leave your offering at the door. Go make it right before you give it. Hello. You th- oh, I'm a Christian. I'll just give anyway. It don't matter. It does matter. He doesn't accept everything that we do as Christians. These are the priests. And watch this. He's about to reject them. Watch this. He says, verse 7, when you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh. Now, we use the word foreigner here. This is those that are uncircumcised unbelievers, if you will. They were those out of the more pagan Gentile area. Okay? This is not referring to international border stuff here. In our culture today, we talk about, you know, uh, immigration and things. That is not what this is. They brought in people that were uncircumcised. They were not of God. And this is what they said. When you brought in these individuals, uncircumcised in the heart and uncircumcised in the flesh, to be in my sanctuary to profane it, even my house when you offered my food, the fat and the blood, for they made my covenant void. This in addition to your abominations. And watch this, verse 8. To the priest, this is to the priest, watch this. And you have not kept charge of my holy things yourselves, but you have set them, or foreigners, or others, to keep charge of my sanctuary. They, 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 re, they gave up their role and right as priesthood. And they gave it into the hands of people who had no idea about God. And put them in charge of the religious things of God. And he said, for that, this is what, it, I'm put this, if you guys put this first one up, rejected. He rejected them. And everything that they did. Yeah, this is perfect. So, rejected, watch this. Their focus was what? The program. What they had their attention on was the program. Well, as long as we just do the ministry and what God, you know, as long as we do it, it won't matter. We'll just put, you know, hey, Joe, he, he's never read a Bible, but you know what? Be, I put him in a pulpit. I'm sure he can come up with something. That's what they thought. And watch this. Their, their field, if you will, it was God. They thought it was, you know, to benefit God. God said, I don't have anything to do with that. You put people in that don't even know me? I'm not having anything to do with that. The facilitator was people. It was like, so here's these people doing this stuff. It was supposed to be for God, but watch this. Their focus is all about what they do. That's why, real quick, that's why I don't move. I love people. But you got the wrong cat when you say, if we don't do this certain thing, I'm leaving. You know why? Because you're not God. And if I give into that, you know what I just did? I just put myself into a rejected model of ministry. Now, what's more important to me? You got the wrong cat if you think, I love you. But he saved me. I'd rather be on my own and to know that I am doing what he asked me to do than to give in to what somebody wants because they demand it. I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine living in rejected ministry. God help us all. But people do it all the time. I think we ought to do this. There was a big popular teaching that went on a couple years back. Some of our team went to it. This is going back years, years back. This individual is very popular, very well known, very well known. I'm not going to say their name. Um, But their teaching was in their church, they allowed people to lead ministries that were not saved. With the goal, their idea was, well, then, because if they did that, then people would come to Christ through their serving. And, man, I mean, we had, we had a, many conversations at a staff. I wouldn't budge on it. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I care what he says. I know he's got a lot of money. I know he's got a lot of followers. I know he's got more Twitter followers than I'll ever see. But I don't care. He's not God. You don't put in it. Do I love people? Yes. Absolutely. But would I ever give someone the authority to instruct my children to have no life of God in them? What are we thinking? 
So I check. And we ask questions. And you might get through sometimes, but we'll find out eventually. We do applications and people get mad about that. How dare you ask these applications? Why would you dare ask? Because I want to know if you know Jesus. You should just trust me. Eh. That sounds like a reason not to trust. I'm sorry. All right, moving along real quick. I don't want to be living in a rejected model of ministry, do you? I don't want to live in a rejected life, do you? Then do things the right way. Let's follow God. Don't do it because people are pressuring you. Listen, honey, if people put the pressure on you, it's like buying a car. They tell you tomorrow, this is the only one, and it's got you so stressed out. Walk away. Walk away. Better to find, there are many more cars out there. No matter what they tell you, there's plenty of them out there. Walk away. This other area was an accepted model of ministry. Real quick, let me put this on the screen for you. You guys can put that up there. Accepted. Watch this. It means, watch this. The focus was, watch this, it was the people. The field was the program. And the facilitator was God. So in other words, they changed. This group of, of the Levites, they changed. And they went from being more about the program. We're all about to. We've got to do this. We've done it because my mama did it. My daddy did it. We've got to do this program no matter what. Even if it doesn't matter anymore, we got to do it, right? They changed and said, you know what? The people matter to God. People matter. And, and we really need to help the people. Their heart's in the right place. And so God says, because of this, watch this, in Ezekiel uh, 44, verse, uh, let's skip down to verse 9. It says, this is the Lord God, <clears throat> no foreigner uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh. Of all the foreigners who are among the sons of Israel shall enter my sanctuary. Watch this, verse 10. But the Levites... Who went far from me when Israel went astray, who went astray from me after their idols shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. Watch verse 11 though. But because they turn back, watch verse 11. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the house and ministering in the house. They shall slaughter the burnt offerings and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. He's saying, I will appoint, verse 14, I will appoint them to keep charge of the house and all of its service and all that shall be done in it. Why? Because they cared about the people. God, you know, God can actually do some things when we actually, when we're just caring about the people. Now, don't get it wrong. You can care about people, but you still don't put, Paul told Timothy, you don't put a novice in office. You don't put somebody in a ministry leadership role that is not prepared for it. Otherwise, he might fall. It's not good for them. You, you understand what I'm saying, right? There is, there is an important preparation for some of the things we do for God. And these instructions are there for our benefit, not to restrict us. But, Paul, but Ezekiel says this about God. He would accept this. Why? Because they at least had a heart for people. They weren't fighting over colors of furniture or wall colors or whatever else or programs. They did it because they cared about people. So God says, you know what? I care about people too. I care so much about people, I'm sending my son. And since you love them so much, I'll at least I'll accept this ministry because people are the focus. But guys, I don't know about you. I don't want to live in an accepted ministry. I don't want to live in a life that's just accepted by God. Got to be careful because sometimes, like I said before, you give into this people thing. Well, yeah, but you know, it's okay because I know the Bible says that, but, and they mean well. But they pull you into something you know good and well isn't for you. Yeah, but I know we ought to love everybody. Yeah, I'm sorry. You, you ought to walk in love. Yeah, I get that. But love isn't like just letting everything go. True love, if you love your kids, you will discipline them. Real love says no sometimes. It's called correction. Who in Hebrews, as a father earthly does not discipline their child well how much more does your heavenly father say we all need discipline every now and then again if we don't need discipline then we're not really his anyway if there's no discipline in our lives whatsoever from god i'm sorry i would ask you a serious question this morning are you sure you're a child of god are you sure why because discipline happens every now and then like, you know, when you're walking through the checkout line and before you mean to, 
you kind of pop off an attitude because the person at the clerk had a hard day and they kind of got some attitude with you. And you don't mean to, but it just kind of comes out. Do you walk off from there? You just stop and say, hey, you know what? Hey, I know you're having a tough day. I didn't mean that. I, I apologize. Or do you treat them like they're beneath you? Don't like that one? Okay. All right. No problem. Got you. That boss you work for, the one that you tell everybody you know is the biggest jerk in town. And yet the Bible tells you to work for them as unto the Lord. Doesn't say you got to like them. Doesn't say you got to eat dinner with them. But there, guys, there is some form of sacrifice in our life that happens as a Christian. I may not like him. I don't enjoy it. But listen, if it's that bad, just go find somewhere else to work. Why stay? Well, I like the benefits. Then get over it. If you like it so much, get over it and work for him as unto the Lord. Give the man a good day's wage. Right? Those are, we, those are, we have to do that, right? So, all right, this last thing, the blessed area of life, and we're wrapping up. I'll put this on the screen for you. Now, watch the difference in all these areas. The first one, they were so focused on their programming. Well, got to do the program. Got to do it. Why? I don't know, but we've always done it, so we just have to do it. The next one, we got to reach out to the people. We got to do it for the people. Notice the change. Rejected, well, I'll at least accept, accept that one. Watch the blessed ministry, though. Look at the difference of the focus. The focus is on who? Seek ye first. Mm. Watch the difference. Rejected. We've got to do the programs. Why? Because we love Jesus. In Jesus' name, we've got to do these programs. <laughs> like, you know, you hear the, the tension and it. it sounds really weird, right? Because we love Jesus. That's why we do this. You know, okay, it's cool. The other one, man, because we gotta, man, we gotta reach these people. God says, you know what? I want to reach people too. I can, I can at least accept that. Watch this, because God said so. He looks at that and says, "I can bless that." Daddy, why do you tithe? Because the Lord asks me to. Daddy, why do we go to church? Cause, now I'm talking, these are conversations with my kids. I don't know what they ask you. What, do we go to church because we're past, you're a pastor? No. Well, why do we go? Because we go to the place the Lord has asked us to worship. And this is the place where God asked us to worship. So we're going to our church. Where we're going to worship God today. That's why we go. You don't go because you're a pastor? No. Mercy, no. How terrible would that be? To just do it because I'm a pastor. I would be miserable. If you don't know me, I would be miserable. But dad, why then? Why do we serve? Because Christ served. So therefore we serve. As an example, he gave to us. Watch what he says in Ezekiel 44 verse 15. It says, but the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the sons of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me. Notice the difference. To minister to me. Why do we worship on Sunday morning? Have you ever thought about this? Why do we sing a song about Jesus? Because that's what we do. No. Not what we do. We worship Jesus. Wait a minute. You're telling me we we didn't just come to hear some music? No. If you came to hear music, you missed your moment. That was for him. Not for anybody up here. Not for anybody putting things on the platform, on the screen. Not for anybody watching. It, it, it was for him. Wait a minute, what? Yeah, that's for him. Worship, it belongs to him. The praise goes to God. But he says, they stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near to my table. Look at all these things. They're focusing on God. And he says, it shall be that when they enter at the gates of the inner court, 
<clears throat> they shall be clothed with linen garments, and wool shall not be on them while they are ministering in the gates of the inner court and in the house. Linen turbans shall be on their heads, and linen undergarments shall be on their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything which makes them sweat. That brothers must have been from Georgia, you know. <laughs> Verse 19. When they go out into the outer court, into the outer court to the people, watch this. Watch what they're about to do, though. They're going to take off their garments in which they have been ministering, and they lay them in the holy chambers, because that's for God. They were so serious about this. They said, you know what? I do this when I come to talk to God in. I'm going to lay this down over here because I'm not going out to the people with that because that's for God. Watch what it says next, though. They shall put on other garments so they will not transmit holiness to the people with their garments. They were so about following the Lord. They didn't want to do anything unholy by even taking their clothing out of the holy place and to get around regular people with it. Now, you may say that's extreme. Maybe. But do you know that when they used to translate the Bible, that the Levites and others, the scribes who would write, when they got to the place of his name, do you realize that men, they would stop, tradition holds, they would stop. Place down their parchment, their pen. They would go wash, cleanse, pray, anoint, come back. And if they did not feel that they were ready, they would do the process again. Until they felt that they were at a place where they had let go of everything that was them. And they said, okay, I'm about to write the name of God. For one name. They didn't do that for everything else. I mean, they're writing about, you know, Barabbas, I don't know, whatever. That joker. Barabbas. But when they got to his name, it was a holy, set-aside thing. And this morning, guys, as we pray for you, I'm going to ask one of our team members to come up. We're going to play some music for you. Let's pray for you. But I'm asking you this morning to stop for a moment. Consider the culture you live in and where you are. God's not looking for perfect people. I'm not talking about being so like over sanctimonious where you're like this weird Christian that, you know, everybody knows it, but you don't live differently, but you look differently. Not that. God wants us to live differently. He wants us to, there should be something different about us. I'm asking you, is there anything in your life today that you would say right now in your life? This part, I think that I'm just doing this because it's something that someone wants done. I didn't ask God about it, didn't talk to the Lord about it. It's just something I've been doing because everybody expects me to do it. It's just what I've always been doing. All right. What about this? Is an area where you're doing it? Say, so, you know what? I'm doing that because people asked me to do it, but I did it because I really thought it was important. I really tried to do the right thing, but I'm still doing it because people are asking me to do it. The last one I want you to ask yourself about this morning is what in my life is God? And what in my life is other people? So would you do me a favor, just close your eyes by your head just for a moment. And, and I really want you to wrestle with this just for a moment, just for a moment. And ask yourself, God, you know, Lord, is this, is this today? Am I, what part of the ministry and the priesthood am I working in right now? Am I in this area that is rejected? Is it accepted or is it blessed? And you look at all kinds of areas of our lives, man, I I try to do this on an occasional basis and say, God, you know, Lord, I I don't want to be doing things that that you're not a part of. I don't want to be doing things that are just semi-accepted by you, Lord. I want to do what you ask me to do, Lord. God, what did you call me to? What did you put in my heart to do? And for you, I don't know what that looks like for you this morning. I don't know what if it's on your job, your family? Can I just encourage you, though, with your family this morning? There are going to be things that this world's going to look at you for doing and saying, man, you're weird. Why don't you let your kids go out at midnight and hang out with other kids on Broad Street? Because everybody else is doing it. They're going to say all kind of really weird stuff. You say, you should just do it because everybody else does it. And can I just encourage you right now? Be strong. And tell every one of those people, know and follow God. And do what God says do in his word. But most importantly this morning, the question I want to leave you with and ask you 
is if you know Jesus this morning, if you want to know true freedom, it is not life without boundaries. I hate to just burst bubbles, but true freedom is not life without boundaries. True freedom comes with the knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ. And he does give us boundaries in life for our blessing and benefit and protection. So if you're here and you don't know Christ, you're watching online right now on broadcast. If you don't know Jesus, but you want to, I want to lead you in a prayer. And everybody in this room is going to pray with you. won't be by yourself. I want to lead you right now in this prayer. You just repeat this after me. The scriptures say this, that if a man believes in his heart, confesses with his mouth, he shall be saved. So you're here. You want to pray this prayer. Just repeat this with me and the whole church right now. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I give you my everything. Dear Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you right now. Right, church? Did you give me a hand? Amen, amen. Listen, uh, I think Gary's going to come up and close. And... Um, I just encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, uh, there's a simple little website we have, connect.cornerstonerum.com. We would love to help you get started walking with Christ. And uh, I just want to encourage you again today, don't ever feel guilty for living a life that has boundaries in it, for following God and trying to do what God's asking you. Don't ever feel guilty for that. The Lord, his ways are different, but I'm telling you, his ways work. You may not see it today or tomorrow, but... The fruit of a Christian is multi-generational. It's not one generation. All right? So just I encourage you with that. So take your time and uh, look on that. So we'll help you get following the Lord on the connect.cornerstonerum.com. And uh, Gary's going to close you out. Welcome, welcome, Gary, would you please? Man, thank you so much for that message, Pastor. It just puts that whole thing in perspective, that last part, when you put God at the top and in the front of whatever you're doing. Um, that's what he blesses, isn't it? You know, we talk about giving at the end of every service, and why do we do that? We do that, you know, we support programs and other things that the church does here, but the reason we give is because God told us to. It's pretty simple. Um, so there are a lot of different ways you can give here. You can give online. You can text. You can drop an offering boxes back here. Um, and uh, we assure you that we're going to be good stewards of what you guys trust us with here. And the money that you give um, is focused on what God wants us to do here. So our prayer partners, if you guys would come up front now, if you need anybody um, to pray with you after service, these folks will be up here. Be glad to take some time to pray with you. And again, I want to remind you that Catch the Vision is right after church, about 10 minutes after. Uh, find Terry and Theta. They'll be up front here. If you have not signed up or if you have signed up, find them. And uh, they'll be with you to kind of take you through what uh, Cornerstone is about. So if you guys want to stand, we're going to send you out with the blessing of the Lord. We're so thankful for the country that we live in. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Have a great, great 4th of July week. See you next week. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.